0: On DAB Plus, online, via the TalkSport app, and on your smart speaker. EFL All Access, on TalkSport 2. Yes, hello and welcome to EFL All Access on TalkSport 2. Big stories to discuss. Middlesbrough finally have their first win of the season to ease the pressure on Michael Carrick's shoulders.
1: It's hugely positive. Uh, I've just said to them uh, in the changing room that regardless of the result, uh, I was standing on the sideline second half thinking to myself, whatever happens here, I'm, I couldn't ask of any more, really, of, of the players.
0: And now, did anyone else see this coming? Plymouth stunning Norwich as they hit the Canaries for six.
1: It's all over here, it's
2: finished. Plymouth six, Norwich two, a crushing win for the Pilgrims.
0: And you'll hear exclusively from Coventry City defender Louis Binks on his journey to reaching the championship. We're going to cover all the big talking points from League One and Two, of course. Shock results, managerial sacking and even more to discuss with the former Luton, Ipswich and Swindon Town striker Sam Parkin. You're listening to EFL All Access on TalkSport Sport 2. Uh, remember, by the way, EFL All Access, available as a podcast, wherever you get your podcasts from. If you're listening live, thank you very much. If you're just joining us, wherever you are, traveling out and about, you've made the right decision. Uh, Loads for us to discuss. After another big weekend in the EFL, delighted to say me, old mucker Sam Parkin is alongside me, the former Luton Ipswich uh, and Swindon striker. And we'll start with the man you heard there in the opener, Michael Carrick, because Middlesbrough uh, easing the pressure on his shoulders with their first championship win of the season. And it's come against Southampton, which provides its own storyline, which we'll get to in a few moments' time. But that victory does take side off the foot of the table, up into 22nd, Southampton down to 15th with a fourth successive defeat. That puts more focus on the leadership of boss Russell Martin. Before we hear from Michael Carrick, Sam, what was your main takeaway when you saw this scoreline at the weekend? Just
2: what a colossal three points it was, really. I think, you know, going into the game, pressure on both managers, Uh, I think just purely from the most recent set of results, it was so needed for, for both sides. So I actually fancied Southampton narrowly going into this game. So really good result. I thought the most telling thing was probably the Middlesbrough starting lineup. A lot of new signings in the summer. Didn't really pick any of them at the weekend. That spine of the team... Senny Dieng apart was pretty much how it was last season. So I think that's Michael Carrick obviously having a look at everything, opening a few weeks of the season, hoping that some of these new signings are going to start scoring, most importantly. And Josh Coburn leading the line. I, I was impressed, I've yeah. got
0: to say, because that's the dynamic. Well, not even the exact dynamic, but they were lacking something in the forward part of the the the, the pitch, obviously losing yeah. Tuba Ak- Akpom, but he
2: came with a level of physicality that I think made a big difference in the game. Definitely. Um, and I think that it's very difficult to replicate what they had last year. I've spoken about it so often. That was incredibly unique. I think the the style that they kind of stumbled across last year and a player who just had an, a sensational season like nothing before in his career, really, in Chuba Pom, complemented obviously by Archer, who's in the Premier League now. So... Mm inevitably, there was going to be something of a drop-off, I think, at the start of the season. But I saw you interview him a few weeks ago, and he was pretty upbeat. And I think the statistics backed up his mood, really. I think defensively, they've not been terrible. And I think going forward, the chances have been being created. So it was just a question of putting it all together. And here, looking at the balance of chances, this was a really deserved result. And more than that, I think a test of a show of their character having gone behind as well to a team who you would have thought would have been buoyant having gone in front but it had the opposite
0: effect. Well, Southampton will argue the decisions went their way. We'll come to them in a few moments but let's hear from the Borough boss Michael Carrick after that first victory of the season he was thrilled with his team's performance.
1: It's hugely positive uh, I've just said to them uh, in the changing room that regardless of the result um, I was standing on the sideline second half thinking to myself whatever happens here I'm, I couldn't ask of any more really of the players for this um, it's, it's it's about I, know I speak about a lot about the group how strong they are and it they kind of <clears throat> words or words and, and some pe- some might pe- some people might believe what I say some people might not <laughs> don't blame them but um, it's it's times when you're tested you know
2: and, and you see true characters you you know what people are about really and um,
1: the way they responded all the way for any any game to be honest that they they've tried to do it in the right way they've tried to give everything they had.
0: So Michael Carrick there impressed with Middlesbrough's first win of the season. It was Adam Armstrong who put Southampton ahead. Ryland McGree levelled for the host just before the break. The lead came thanks to a Johnny houseen penalty. Taylor Harwood-Bellis uh, looking like he dragged down Josh Coburn in the area. Russell Martin was fuming with that decision. Did, did you think it was a penalty? Because it was a weird one where the ball didn't seem to go really near either of the two players. Coburn almost... Went towards the goal And was trying to check back To get towards the cross Howard Bellis had him
2: in his hands We saw that But was Coburn ever going to get to the ball? Uh, I think the more interesting element Is probably the, the savvy play From the centre forward He's definitely got hold of Howard Bellis's shirt as well I think And that's clever play That's almost provoking The centre half to do what he did Which was a more obvious infringement So I can understand the centre-half being displeased with the decision, but he's got to show more maturity, better understanding. You just can't get involved, or you've got to be more subtle in that type of scenario. And It's a problem at the moment, because he was brought in Harwood-Bellis. I think he was, I would not go as far to say the the great hope, but you would have thought he'd even improved them, and I'd go along the same lines with Mason Holgate, and they potentially have made them worse in the short term. I mean, that can change, of course, um, but those two have come in and made individual errors, which is, has obviously led to some goals being conceded and the, the poor run of results continuing. So um, we'll see where he goes from now. I noticed that they had kind of less of the ball in this game. So I think Russell Martin is looking at, you know, different facets to the game and obviously trying to improve them. And that's what's called for. You know, it's wow. up to him now to find the the personnel, the formula, but also the the game plan to turn this season around. And inevitably, there's going to be pressure, but still needs time. He's in a spot of bother. Of course he is. Russell yeah.
0: Martin, it's, un- it's undeniable. He says his side were kind of really passive at times. Four straight defeats, that's a run you mentioned. they got leads to come Saturday lunchtime as well. You know, I did want to ask you, though, maybe not specifically about him, but the leadership at Southampton. This has been a club, as we know, um, that has had a bit of instability over the last year. <sighs> You know, are they going to give Russell Martin the time? Are they going to be patient? Because I think the fans have lost a kind of... They've lost their patience with the leadership of the club by making wrong decisions. And if the results aren't going well, it quickly turns on mm. Sport Republic and the people that are making decisions at the top of the club.
2: Yeah.
0: As we've seen at so many football clubs, when
2: that happens, they usually pull the, pull the plug. I think it's a massive conversation with so many ingredients to it. Right now... All it requires you is the team to start well against Leeds at the weekend and get an early goal and get the fans vociferous and behind the team. Honestly, in football, that's all it takes. They're very split right now. That's natural. There'll be people that will be wanting them to start afresh. But I would say they did that with Sellers. They did that with Nathan Jones. How does that make the hierarchy look if they sack yet another manager? I saw... I saw a team sheet at the weekend that probably the supporters have craved a little bit. Armstrong back in the front three, Shea Charles into midfield. Yes, defensively, it's a bit problematic at the moment. But I th- I just think it's that formula and it's that start to the game and it's those not taking liberties early with the ball because we've seen that's been really problematic playing out for Southampton. If they can start the game well against Leeds, this can turn. But of course, the, the bigger picture is... If it becomes so fractious and and, um, so toxic, I don't think it is quite yet. If it becomes that, of course the owners have got a massive problem because supporters eventually will stop coming to the games and stop buying the merchandise. That's the world we live in. So I hope for their sake, the staff and for the supporters, that they get a performance at the weekend because I hope he can turn it around. I think he's shown that there's something about him and obviously... They changed the kind of backroom team, didn't they, in terms of Jason Wilcox coming in as well. So he needs to be supported for, you know, I like a dozen, 15 games in an Mm -hmm. ideal world. And then, of course, if the Premier League is so far away and they're detached from the top teams in the division, inevitably there's normally a decision made, but it's not that time now. Okay. all right, we'll move on. Uh, Let's move on to Plymouth as well. I
0: think they deserve to be high up our order after scoring six against Norwich City at the weekend. In fact, it's the first time they scored six in a championship match. Uh, For more than 36 years, the highest number of goals in a second-tier game since their 6-1 win over Huddersfield on the 22nd of August, 1987. Morgan Whittaker getting a hat-trick. It was an excellent performance from Stephen Schumacher's side, who are making a solid start, as we've seen, uh, to life back in the championship. However, for Norwich, it's three defeats in the last four. They've got Fulham to come in the Carabao Cup, Birmingham at Carrow Road at the weekend. David Wagner was not impressed after the defeat to Plymouth, here's what he had to say.
3: A very disappointing afternoon, a horrible afternoon, to be fair. I think we, we have not done what we, what we have spoken, what we like to do. And uh, the goals which we conceded, uh, we were just not good enough, uh, to be fair. Today, it wasn't a, a problem of attitude, uh, uh, willingness, uh, I think everyone worked hard, but the goals which we gave away, we conceded four counter goals, a couple of further counter chances as well, something what is totally unusual for us. Uh, we played in areas where we should not play, we played centrally uh, to players who were occupied, our rest defence was not there and uh, we didn't lose, learn our lessons during the game, this is why we conceded four of those goals.
0: Bit of sea breeze for David Wagner at the weekend there, but you you got the gist of it. Um, what's the issue, Sam, for Norwich City right now? Can you put your finger on a, one
2: thing or is it a multitude? I think, yeah, a few things going on. Obviously, I was working for TalkSport2 at the um, the Leicester game last week and they looked a little bit blunt in attack. Um, obviously, I wouldn't see that as their biggest problem in in this defeat, but having lost Ashley Barnes and Josh Sargent is... Really problematic, I think, moving forward for them, and they looked a little bit toothless against Leicester. I think here the game plan of Steven Schumacher to smother uh, David Wagner said it there, smother the middle of the pitch. Played his his new two number tens. Um, Plymouth Argyle back to the the, the the system really that got them such success in in League One. They haven't played this way, the three four two one at all this season. This was the game that he went back in the wake of that defeat against Bristol City, and it did a bit of a number on Norwich here I think they're a little bit pedestrian in in midfield Adam Forshaw coming on in the second half had a bit of an effect for them so I think maybe to take out one of those attacking players and put another defensively minded midfielder in could be the way forward that means that Sara could be released a little bit mm. higher he's been really poor the last few weeks after being the player of the month for for August so I think that was the the biggest problem here and as he said as well the way they got breached defensively, and I think that lack of pace at centre half. Yeah, I think that's a little bit of a problem. The two full-backs were really good, actually, Stacey Janulis when I saw them against Leicester. But Gibson and Duffy, that's a bit of an issue when you're playing against a team that has such incredible pace, like Hardy they were, and They and were Witter great, with, weren't they? Yeah, yeah, those two in particular. I mean, they didn't beat Southampton in the early part of the season, but I saw those two the threat they can be, especially if they've given up some of the ball and pressed, um, Plymouth, sorry, had very little of the ball here, mm. unusually for them um, so I think this was, I don't know if it was a tactic but it was a lot more counter-attacking and when you've got Whitaker and especially the speed of Hardy on the shoulder against centre-halves who are yes, very good competitors but not great running back towards their own goal it's not a brilliant combination so really bad day at the office but we know already that Plymouth are going to do this to a lot of teams this season. Maybe, okay. not, maybe not to six, but you know. Yeah, you yeah. catch, catch my drift. Yeah, exactly. We're going to come uh, to Leicester City. By the way, Sam, who you mentioned a few
0: moments ago, straight after the break, loads for us to sink our teeth into. Still in the Championship. You're listening to EFL All Access in partnership with 888 Sport. Made to challenge. Made to debate. Made to play. It's 18 plus. Bigamblewear on DAB Plus, online, via the TalkSport app, and on your smart speaker, UFL All Access, on TalkSport 2. Whoa, whoa, whoa. This is Talk Sport 2, and this is EFL All Access. My name is Hugh Wisencroft. I'm alongside the former Luton Town striker Sam Parking, looking back at the best of the weekend in the English Football League. And we'll move on to events at the King Power next Leicester City 1. Bristol City, Neil, of course, the former Leicester boss, Nigel Pearson, coming to town on crutches. Hope hopefully, hopefully he's fully recovered soon, because even he was saying, you know, he can't really get involved in the way that he wants to, uh, currently injured at the moment. But Jamie Vardy got the goal, came from the penalty spot. To be honest, it was the least that Leicester deserved, had a number of chances in the game. Um, and they returned to the top of the championship, but after that match, Leicester... Um, Smothering them, 19 shots to their five, none of which were on target. Uh, To keep their first clean sheet at home in 17 games, surprisingly, I guess. Uh, They're back, as I mentioned, to the summit of the league with seven wins out of eight. It is now, officially, Sam, Leicester's best ever start to a league campaign. What makes them so unstoppable?
2: Well, the squad helps, I think. Um, The style of play has been taken on board and adopted very quickly. I would say there's a variety to the play. So it's not this um, kind of pedestrian, possession-at-all-costs football. They can go forward, go forward quickly to direct quick forward players. Slightly different when Vardy's in the team, as opposed to when Acho's leading the line. I saw that at Norwich last week. He's very secure with his back-to-go. Iheanacho requires a lot of movement from the f- the wide players beyond that. Vardy can obviously still play on the shoulder to a degree. So I think they've got a variety of ways to, to hurt the opponent. And he gambled against Norwich. Five changes. I was a little bit critical pre-match because I thought this is a tough game up against probably the surprise package at the time in the championship. Norwich have since gone on to yeah. lose two games. But um, he rolled the dice. And what he did was they were in a pretty commanding position. Game slightly in the balance. And then he brought on the likes of Vardy and Ndidi and Dewsbury Hall, this is the, obviously, previous game, and got over the line. Mm. So it was a brilliant start to a three-game week. Um, And then they completed it in pretty fine fashion, I would say, against Bristol City. I mean, even the Bristol City staff and and players were pretty honest in their defeat that Leicester were far and away uh, worthy winners and had to work hard for it. So I think they're showing different ways to win. That old cliche, knocking on the door continually and getting over the line so um, no I've been really impressed with them and from what I've seen over the last seven days very hard to see them falling outside the the automatic positions probably yeah yeah. I mean
0: when you look to that midfield at a weekend Chewsbury Hall Indeedy Winks Thought that, I mean, that could be starting in the Premier League this weekend and you wouldn't really bat an eyelid at it. So um, to see them in, in the championship with the likes of Vardy, I was actually really impressed with the two wingers. All right, we've seen a lot of Mavadidi, but Fatawu was, was, you know, very direct, happy to get his shots off. And I think that helped Vardy. Vardy had a spring in his step. This weekend. I don't know if, you know, woke up on the right side of bed or whatnot, but you think a player of his quality, you know, he's had his injury troubles. If he really gets going in the championship, he's going to be lethal. Tuck a penalty away with style as well. And that's what you need from your key players mm. in the key moments. So, um, look, there will be weekends like this where Leicester don't convert every chance, but if they get over the line, as you mentioned, very difficult to see them outside of the top two. But it's actually, you know, the goal scoring that I think is a difference between them and someone who's near them in the table at Preston North End, who drew one all with Rotherham at the weekend. Um, The result means that they're now third in the table. That's after Leicester and Ipswich both won, but many people saw it as a bit of a reality check for Preston. Was it or was it just the way that things are sometimes in the championship? You know, there's a reason that teams aren't Steamrolling mm. um, their opponents every single week; otherwise, they wouldn't be in this division. And I, I, I felt like some of the reaction was actually pretty harsh. You know, Rotherham can be a very difficult team to play against. There was a great goal uh, in it as well for for them. So, you know, uh, you know, it happens. I don't yeah. think. I think people are, are almost waiting now. Are oh, Preston North End going to trip up? I don't think that's fair.
2: Yeah, I think it's a combination of things. I don't think they're the finished article yet. I think that they've been a little bit fortuitous probably to win some of their games. I think only one victory away at Stoke has been by more than the solitary goal margin. So some of those games in the last week, 10 days, could have seen them drop points, definitely against Birmingham. I think they did pretty well. They probably deserved to beat uh, Argyle at home. Here, I mean, Rotherham mustered three shots, I think, in the game. And I've been, you know, quite high on their chances rather than having a decent season. I think they've got better individuals now. I think Matt Taylor's trying to provide their supporters with a better quality style of football, call it what you want. But yeah, Preston will be disappointed with the drop points. But again, I think they've had a really good start to the season. They've probably won some games maybe where they didn't quite deserve to get over the line. I think in... um, well, looking forward, they've got some really good players to come back in. You look at the bench now, the depth of that Preston North End squad with Whiteman. I think one of the best midfielders in the division. Emil Reese to come back. Mm. And if they can get Osmajic in tandem with either Emil Reese or Will Keane, who's missed the last couple of games, that's a pretty good front line. So the depth is better there. Whether they can maintain this, I doubt. But I think it's definitely a season where Ryan Logan can can hope his players could push for the playoffs. That would be a, definitely a realistic proposition.
0: Speaking of keeping up the momentum, Ipswich Town 4, Blackburn Rovers 3. Um, and, and Rovers, to be fair to them, a great comeback in the game. They were 3-1 down at one point. They managed to get level um, before Luongo scored a, a fantastic winner. It means Ipswich second in the championship, level on points with Leicester, Blackburn a 14th. Um Something about Ipswich Town is is becoming to is becoming intoxicating. Excuse me, starting to seduce us a little bit, Sam. You know, there are many people now looking
2: at them as as the real deal. Is it too soon to judge? Well, it surprised me because I thought that you know consolidation this year would be acceptable, probably by the majority of the supporters as well. I thought a, a top half finish was probably mm. achievable, a good target. So they surpassed my expectations. Probably, you know. I know we're only early part of the season, but I'm talking about the the level of the performance, mm. the, the the manner, the confidence that they're playing with. I mean, it's getting kind of national attention now, isn't it? I think from people who invariably normally just follow the Premier League are hearing about Ipswich, and it's probably because of the the crowds they're getting. Yeah, size the, of the football club. Yeah, of course, the history is is immense, um, the quality of the goals from the weekend, that was the standout to me, every single one was just incredible, broadheads playing with a ridiculous level of confidence, I thought Luongo's strike, under that pressure, um, 3-3, Blackburn having worked their way back into the game, immaculate volley to get them mm. over the line, and they've got this imperious away record, they just... Churn out victory after victory away from Portman Road. So, if there's real style in front of the home supporters away from home, they've got that substance and that 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 stern, um, solid foundation that every club needs who've got aspirations of getting into the Premier League. So, they're listen, I'm not going to go too early because it's a it's a long old battle, isn't it? <laughs> the the Championship, but they are looking very much the real deal but credit to blackburn in this game and they'll cause a lot of teams problem i think that kieran mckenna pointed towards blackburn's stats being really up there in an attacking sense i think they've they've created the most big chances in the division so they've got some excellent attacking players and um yeah it was a it was a magnificent magnificent game because of the, both the teams
0: i don't i don't mind going early sam i don't mind going too early when it when it comes to I think what we're seeing is a a nice title race shaping up between some teams who are going to uh, play some expansive football. That's something that we can be excited about at least. I don't think necessarily, I mean, look, we know what it gets when the weather turns and, and people will at times play attritionally and there'll be need for it. If the pitches aren't where they want to be at this time of year, they're still looking good. But when you see Leeds score three against Watford and you think about Ipswich hitting four against Blackburn and all right, Leicester didn't actually get the goals, but the number of chances that they created, you know, you start thinking, oh, we could be rubbing our hands together ahead of what could be a pretty special title race. Mm -hmm. Leeds first home win in nine games, three nil victory at Ellen Road, Joe Perot's fourth goal of the campaign as well. Um, And I think he could be big for them in terms of that attacking um title race, but also I think a lot of Leeds fans delighted to see someone who cost 35.5 million pounds, Jorginho Ruta, finally settling in and having some impact too.
2: Yeah, and you could argue that they maybe got the best front man in the division in pro Peru, Peru, and maybe the second best in Ruta. I mean that's up for debate, but I mean 30 odd million quid would suggest that he's the real deal and the last couple of performances My goodness, didn't get his goal at the weekend, had one chalked off, didn't he? But some of the runs, some of the build-up play from him, sensational. And Peru will get them 20 goals, no question. At 24, he should rip up the championship. So, at the moment, and yeah, to a degree we're going on current form, and again, we're only eight games in, but I've got a feeling that Leicester, Ipswich, Leeds, you know, they're the real deal outside of that you're talking about teams that are going to have incredible seasons if they can push those close and of course we're waiting for Southampton but we waited for some of the bigger teams in the championship last year yeah. Norwich West Brom and it, Watford it, it never materialised so there's momentum at those three or four those three or four mentioned clubs and it's going to be up to Preston, Hull, Sunderland the teams that are up there right now in my eyes to to surprise us further maintain their form but yeah, the, the league feels only eight games old, that, like it's starting to take shape. Listen, I think what's interesting when you look at Leeds United,
0: just gelling at the moment, you know, they've brought some new players in, they've lost some key players too. But to be seven games unbeaten in all competitions, four straight clean sheets in the championship as well, which is going to be really important... For me, I think we're seeing very solid foundations ahead of what could be a promotion-chasing team, which is exactly what I guess we expected and certainly what the fans of Leeds United expected. Watford fans, on the other hand, um, I wonder, penny for their thoughts, only two wins all season in nine League and Cup games uh, under Valerian Ishmael. This is is certainly not a football club that you can define as being overly patient. No. Sam? No, but
2: rewarded with a new contract already, was he not? Um and this is taken I think everyone by surprise because we all pigeonholed um Valerie Ishmael and kind of preempted what the style was gonna be and it's been anything but that. It's been a lot more measured, a bit more patient the football. I mean that was a, a again sorry to harbour on about it, but it was one of the most unique periods I've ever seen in the second tier when Barnsley were playing that brand of football it was just like wow nobody had seen the likes of it before and he continued in that that fashion at at West Brom so I think this has taken everyone a little bit by surprise you look at the team there are quality players in there but whether they are a collective as of yet I think that's open to debate so it's a work in progress Um, they've got some good players I think the fans have enjoyed it relatively so far this result is a bit of a um, an eye-opener because it was so convincing, so one-sided, but it's how they react to that because I generally feel, you know, reading some stuff from the Watford fans and, and seeing some of the performances that they've been okay with this start. So, it's imperative that they respond to this heavy defeat. I think it's going to be really important
0: for Valerian Ishmael. We'll see if he can. And Watford can respond to that runner form. That's it for the Championship. More still to come. Uh, We'll be diving into some of the big stories in League One next, particularly concerning Cheltenham who still haven't scored, but you're listening to EFL All Access in partnership with 888 Sport. Made to challenge, made to debate, made to play. It's 18+. BeGambleAware.org. On DAB+, online, via the TalkSport app, and on your smart speaker. EFL All Access. On TalkSport 2. I do want to talk about one player who should be involved in that game because it's been quite the footballing journey already for the English defender, Louis Binks. He's been playing in the MLS with Montreal Impact then in italy with bologna and como and now he finds himself on loan at coventry talk sports ian abraham caught up with louis for a chat last week
3: louis first of all great to meet you um coventry via gillingham montreal como yeah i mean quite a journey for someone who's very young
1: yeah nice i've been everywhere really um a lot of experiences obviously playing mls to syria to syria b and now the championship. So yeah, I've got a lot of uh, different experience for quite a young age. I think
3: why MLS early in your career rather than what most people do, which is right at the end of their career.
1: I just wanted to go and play games, really. Um, and obviously, I signed for Bologna in Syria, and they had the same owner as Montreal, and they said to me, like, if you sign here, we'll send you there for a year to play games. I had the same agent as the manager in Montreal, uh, Omri. So. Yeah, it made sense to go there and play games. Well, I mean,
3: what was Montreal like?
1: As a place, it was really nice. Uh, it's more like a European city. They speak French. Um, all the boys were French, really. There was a lot of uh, French players there. But, yeah, I enjoyed every minute of it. Uh, training ground was nice. Uh, boys were good, like I say. So, yeah, it was good, good experience for me.
3: Playing for someone like Henri?
1: Difficult at times because his right. standards were so high. Obviously, where he's come from, who he's worked with... Um, and me being quite young, it was it was good because it grounded me a little bit. Um, yeah, his ideas were maybe like too complex for where we were at times. But you could tell he was he had a great idea of the game and everything like that. So it was yeah amazing to work with him.
3: See, people tell me sometimes when you work with a great player, the idea is wow, I'm working with a great player. But then the great player can get frustrated that you can't do what what they you could, could do always it, yeah. do.
1: Yeah, maybe at times that happened. I remember like a few times he'd step in training and he was still like one of the best players. I know people say that when they work with like players who work with Hoddle say the same thing, but like genuinely he'd step in and still be a great player. And sometimes you think we can't do that, but yeah, no, he was great to work with every day.
3: So that's one World Cup winner, and yeah. then last season at Como another World Cup winner. and says Fabregas.
1: Yeah, no, Cesc was good as well. Like you don't know what to expect when you hear about working with these players, you don't know how they're going to be but Cesc was genuinely one of the most like humble players ever, like he had time for everyone, um, he'd help you if you needed help, he's obviously gone into coaching now so you could see he was at the end of his career and he was doing his badges at the time and it was very like with me he'd give me advice when he could and yeah it was it was very good for me.
3: So generally when people say that they go oh you know he had time for everyone he's happy to give advice, I sometimes think if, if you're a world class player do you want everybody, all your teammates coming to you for advice Yeah. maybe yes maybe no I mean do you ever feel a bit sort of like oh, do I go up to him or not or, yeah. as a footballer can you not think like that
1: no I think at the start I was a bit like I don't want to go up to him too much and look and pester him too much but then I think over time our relationship got a bit closer because obviously he spent many years in England he said like he's his kids are English so he he was very much involved in English culture and I didn't really speak great Italian and the main language was Italian so naturally me and him drew quite close together um, because of the English and yeah over time I think I could go up to him about anything but yeah at the first stages I didn't want to pester him too much and look like the annoying little kid but genuinely I don't think even if I was like that in the first stages he wouldn't have minded like he he loved football, always talking about football. And a nice cliche, they always go, oh, he had time for everyone. But genuinely, he was, like, so humble.
3: Now, with respect to the Coventry Tourist Board, yeah. um, Montreal, I've never been there, but I've seen pictures of it. And like you say, it's a, like a big yeah. European city. Lake Como, I think everyone's seen a picture of that. Looks absolutely idyllic. Yeah. And now Coventry.
1: Yeah, no, it's, <laughs> it's very different. Um, but it's a bit normal for me, coming back here, like... And that sounds silly, but even like going shopping, it's more normal um, being around English people. Saying I missed um, in the changing room, I've never, never played in England really professionally before this, so it's a, it's a good change for me. Um, I think at the start it took me a bit of time to get used to it, because uh, Italy was probably my normal spending two years there. Um, but now I'm enjoying it. Uh, yeah, the boys are good. Enjoying the training every day. So yeah, it's bit I'm, I'm loving it.
3: How does it all compare? Or is football the same, training the same wherever you are? If you're in Canada or you're in Italy or you're in Coventry, mm. is it is it all pretty much the same? I mean, did you get spotted more in Canada and in Italy and here you can go shopping and no one knows who you are? Yeah, I think in,
1: uh, uh, not really, I think in Italy you get spotted a little bit more because I was the the English kid out there, so it was a bit bit different Um but no, the training itself, I'd, I'd say here's the most enjoyable training I've had anywhere. I'm not just saying that because I'm here now genuinely. I think last year it's it's very slow, the training in Italy, very tactical. And here, yeah, I just think it's a bit more me, um, how we train, everything. The match days are more more lively. You see the championship, every team's got fans really. And in Serie B last year you go to a bari you've got 60,000 then you go to another team and they've got a 1,000 so that was very difficult and different and i think serie has the same you go to verona and they've got 5,000 you go to mm. milan they've got 70,000 so i do prefer being back here the fans and everything like that the match days feel like proper proper match days
3: and and you touched on the language with italy yeah um you're happy here as well like probably in canada where English is, yeah. is spoken and, and you can understand it all, and you don't need to think, well, "What are they
1: saying?" Yeah, no, I did try and like throw myself into it and learn Italian, but it was very difficult. And sometimes when you do interviews like this in Italy, you don't, you have a translator, and you don't know if there. There was a few times where I've read the answers back what he's translated, and I'm thinking I didn't say that. So, it's uh,
3: I've been a press conference before, and a manager might give a an answer about a minute and it translated like in fifteen seconds, yeah. you know when really? He said all that in no, a minute. It's
1: the same. Like I'll be talking for a minute, and then he goes, "Yeah, he'd translate." Yeah, he's loving it. And I'm thinking, no, I ain't said that. Like I've said more than that. But nice. No, yeah, I'm enjoying being back.
3: Um, before we talk about the game this weekend, um, just one more about you personally. A West Ham fan, which yeah. obviously I'm loving. Yeah. Uh, European champions in the Conference League last season. I mean, when you when you're abroad, do you get much chance to watch English football? Do you get more chance to watch English football?
1: Yeah, um, yeah. I still keep up to date with English football, watching it all the time. I'm a West Ham fan, but I'd say I'm more a Gillingham fan. I was always watching Gillingham when I was out there on I follow. Now, now I'm back, I've been to probably five or six games this season already, so I'm glad to be back in the aspect that I can go and watch games as well. So, yeah, it's good.
3: OK, so Coventry this season. Yeah. Last season playoff finalists, maybe taking a little bit of time for... Everybody to gel is that is that a fair comment?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think obviously there's been a lot of signings coming over the summer, and signings from different leagues. Obviously, Hadji's come from Turkey. I've come from Italy. Milan's come from Holland. So it's going to take time to get used to the league as well as getting used to each other. Um, but like I say, this league's we're very early on, and there's a lot of games in this league, like you know. So hopefully we'll start to gel soon, and
3: yeah. You mentioned already that the, the crowds and. You know, I mean, for a second tier of, of, of football in any country, I, I always look at the crowds every week and think, wow, they're they're, they're insanely big. Yeah. Um, do you feel like it's a special league you're playing, and even if it's just one below the Premier
1: Yeah, I think growing up as well, I've always watched the Championship, being on telly over the years, and you see how big a league it is, and I've seen a few people say this year it's like a second Premier League with the teams that have come down and teams that have come up. So, yeah, going to places like Elm Road and... Places like that where it's a bit hostile. I think it's a great league and it's got everything going to Millwall one week, and then going to Coventry. Is, there's great stadiums all over. In terms of Monday, live on Talksport 2, but also live on the telly, I mean, yeah.
3: again, a lot of people will suddenly get to look at Coventry, yeah. look at you, mm-hmm. get to know you, look, want to look about you on various social media platforms. Yeah. You know, it's games like this which really elevate you as a player as well.
1: Yeah, no. It's. Yeah, you look forward to obviously being on Sky, um, the big games in the championship, you watch the playoff finals every year, so there's massive games in this league and it's definitely a platform to for players to now go on. You see the two last year, uh, one's gone to Sheffield United, one's gone to Sporting, so yeah, this league's definitely growing all the time and players are definitely using it as a platform to go on.
3: You've done enough foreign travel, haven't you? Yeah, I know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe in my career there might be a few more, but... Yeah, I'm happier at the time. Really, if
3: you're came to you at the end of next season or season half and go, God, a great move to Benfica. Would you go, mate, I just want to stay home for a bit?
1: I'm not afraid <laughs> of going abroad, so I'd probably weigh it up. But yeah, no, I'll see what happens at the end of the year. Hopefully I do well and there'll be options on the table, staying here, going somewhere. Hopefully there'll be options, yeah.
3: Last couple. First of all, Huddersfield, new manager. Um, yeah. Anything that you need to worry about in terms of maybe the Huddersfield players wanting to impress a new manager?
1: Yeah, I think it could go either way. Really, obviously, there's a lot of uncertainty. The players might not click straight away. Um, like you say, there's a new manager bounce, so they might want to be impressed. So, yeah, we'll wait and see.
3: And finally, I noticed from doing the research about you, yes, believe it or not, I actually did some research. Yeah. Bit of England at youth level, bit of Scotland at youth level. Yeah. Was that can make your mind up or keeping your options open?
1: Yeah. No. Keeping my options open I enjoyed playing for Scotland massively uh, obviously I'm not Scottish myself but my granddad was Scottish um, we always used to go up there so I do feel an affiliation with Scotland and every time I've been there I, I love it so yeah hopefully if I keep playing playing here and playing well something will come.
3: Is that a really big ambition to try and get international honors? Yeah
1: definitely I think I've watched Scotland over the f- past few like camps and they've been brilliant I think they're competing with the biggest teams beating Spain obviously it was a tough game against England but they've got some great players and young players Gilmore obviously Hickey who I know from Bologna Patterson who I've played growing up with so yeah it's a young squad and it's very exciting
3: i am definitely getting the impression you're more Louis Biggs than Louis Biggs and you're going to play for England you're going to play for Scotland aren't you? (sighs) They've got to come calling first but
0: hopefully something comes up and yeah Sam Parkins is alongside me, the former Luton Town striker. Let's move into League One, if we can, very quickly. And we have to start with Cheltenham Town, unfortunately. Uh, Cheltenham nil, Stevenage three. Cheltenham become the first side in football league history to fail to score in their opening nine league games of a season. That's incredible. They were well beaten, of course. Managerless at the moment, too, because uh, the club parted at company with Wade Elliott in midweek. They placed Kevin Russell in temporary charge. They've now gone more than 13 and a half hours without a League One goal. And for me, this is where you see it turning into a nightmare season. Yeah, I get it. There are relegation seasons, and then there are relegation seasons. There are things that traumatise a football club and you feel like it's going that way at the moment with Cheltenham they just need a ray of sunshine from somewhere
2: yeah and some achievement getting into League One and, and staying there for for a few seasons I think they've punched above their weight so often you know across the last decade I think Michael Duff did an incredible job there and the continuity of obviously one of his his, um, his former group. teammates backroom oh, yeah. staff yeah, yeah taking over um, but the loss of Alfie May, I think, last season, uh, a lack of replacement. They're relying on players with very few EFL games, very few EFL goals to get them out of the mire. It's a problem because they're not creating anything. And at the the other end, obviously, they're they're shipping goals. I didn't, well, I had a little look earlier, actually. Um, James Gibbons of Bristol Rovers has essentially scored... Cheltenham's only goal this season, mm. the Football League Trophy mm. and home goal. So they haven't even scored in the cup competitions. So this is a massive problem. What? Probably a dozen games in, give or take in all competitions into the season. But so often in this world, I would imagine there'll be many takers for this job. I think David Artell mm. was at the game at the weekend, notepad in hand. What so, do you think?
0: Good decision if he goes?
2: Well, I think it was the... I think it was this this season with the pandemic, wasn't he, that uh, he got crew, obviously, promoted out of League Two, um, has got that reputation, I suppose, of playing good football. Not that that's everything that Cheltenham need right now. They need results, but also... Um, a knack of improving younger players and there is a lot of young players I think especially in the forward areas in this Cheltenham squad so I know he was very close to getting the Swindon job um, not in the summer but previously when Jody Morris got the job so he's been actively looking for a way to get back in and um, this could be the one that fits could be
0: fingers crossed for Cheltenham town because you know, teams lose games, but as I mentioned, you don't want it to be like that for the fans or the players. Rock-bottom mood at the moment, mm-hmm. so hopefully things turn around very, very quickly. The mood, uh, very much at the other end of the spectrum for Oxford United. They beat Exeter, three goals to nil at the weekend. Carl Edwards, Ruben Rodriguez, inspiring that victory. More than 10,000 fans at the Casham Stadium. Lovely to see. Liam Manning delighted with back-to-back league wins. Um, it was interesting afterwards listening to him because he kind of outlined that his side are going to be a constant threat, he feels. Not just in this game, but just generally, he says, we've got that bit of extra quality in the final third. So teams always need to look out for us in that area.
2: Yeah, I think this is a a manager that's been backed. I think that um, he's got a fairly good budget um, behind him. So we should probably anticipate Oxford being up there this season. But it's been a brilliant start. And and Liam Manning obviously had a great start to... His managerial career, uh, it's held off somewhat at at MK Dons, but this has been a great start, and this sounds like this wasn't their best performance of the season, that they gave up a lot of the ball, certainly, to Exeter. Maybe not in terms of uh, great chances that Exeter created, but got their nose in front, had to rely on some brilliant defending from Moore, Thornley, the goalkeeper, Beadle was in really good form, and then they have real pace and directness on the counter attack, and I think this is where the game was was essentially won. Some of the names: Rodriguez, who who starred obviously at Notts County; Edwards on loan from from Ipswich. Interestingly, no out and out striker in this lineup. Bowden I think, led the line, who's a more of an attacking midfield player. So they got the job done without um you know without a real striker in the lineup. So against an Exeter side that have started the season really well, it's a phenomenal result. And and yeah, as I said um, a few moments ago. I don't think Oxford are probably likely to go anywhere. I think this could be the season after Carl Robinson getting them so close. I think you look at the other teams in the division, I think Oxford's squad is probably as good as any. So, um, yeah, probably definitely a good shout for playoffs at least.
0: A good result for Portsmouth beating Lincoln at the weekend. Uh, John Massino saying, we've received uh, some criticism for a lack of quality in the final third. Hopefully people are now seeing the fruits of our labour over the past few months. So definitely uh, wanted to mention them because they are, of course, top of League One and they remain unbeaten in league football. But I did have to discuss uh, Blackpool's victory over Reading. Blackpool 4, Reading 1, Jordan Rhodes' first hat-trick for nearly four years Um, Three goals in the first 11 minutes, or rather in 11 first half minutes, excuse me. Um, Reading boss Ruben Seles seen at full time apologising to the supporters who'd made the journey. He said that conceding three in the first half was not acceptable. Um, He he also said that he's looking for more maturity from his team. Sam, do do you
2: understand what he means by that? I do, yeah. Um, I think he has to take some of the responsibility for that. I mean, this is an incredibly young side that they're sending out week after week. Away from home, sorry, at home, you can probably get away with it. I just Mm -hmm. think they're too open away from home. And there are options to change it to go with slightly more experience. Uh, He's got that on the bench. So they're going to have to find a formula to suit playing away. Uh, And they're... Yeah, not been too bad at home. There's been some decent performances where they've been able to get points, but we shouldn't be surprised by this result, probably. Blackpool, 12 points so far this season, 11 at home, only the solitary (laughs) point away from goal, and and Reading aren't off the mark away from home. The supporters have only had two goals on their travels to cheer, so understandably Mm. they're going to be disappointed and yes they have got a lot going against them this season reading off the pitch we know that and on the pitch incredibly youthful but the manager has to find a formula to get them you know out of the mire so I'm sure the next time they go away they'll be more secure and it's that as you said it's that that flurry of goals that stinks of immaturity a lack of game management and and something that can't continue to happen or was they're going to find themselves in a fight.
0: Something to turn around, Sam. I didn't think you'd be blaming the travelling Reading fans for basically saying they should have known it was coming. <laughs> <laughs> but there you go. Uh, not the weekend for Reading fans, but uh, congratulations to Jordan Rhodes. We'll be talking about another man, a, a veteran, if you like, scoring a hat-trick this weekend next on EFL All Access, which is in partnership with 888 Sport. Made to challenge, made to debate, made to play. It's 18plus. Talk On DAB+, online, by the TalkSport app, and on your smart speaker UFL All Access on TalkSport 2 You're listening to EFL All Access on TalkSport 2 with myself, Hugh Wisencraft, alongside Sam Parkin, the former Ipswich and Swindon striker. And Let's get into League Two next, Sam, and we start with another hat-trick for a veteran. Unfortunately, it wasn't to be in terms of the victory for Troy Deeney because uh, he got a hat-trick for Forest Green this weekend, but they were still beaten four goals to three by the League Two leaders, Notts County, a seven-goal thriller. Um, and it was the influence, really, of two old heads in this match, which was one to behold for me. Uh, David McGoldrick of Notts County, Troy Deeney, of course, scoring his first hat-trick in nine years. So uh, they've still got it.
2: They have, yeah. <laughs> I think we we all knew that McGoldrick was going to have a bit in, in League 2. And, um, yeah, it's a real easy-on-the-eye style of football. Langstaff and him, I think we all probably anticipated they were going to be very good. You know, even considering Macaulay Langstuff's jumped to a, a, a level. Dan Crowley's playing alongside McGoldrick kind of as dual number 10s, really exciting. And it was it was quite nice actually, um, to hear, you know, both Luke Williams talking in, in really nice terms about Forest Green Rovers the improvement in them I think that we're seeing week after week was mm. was evident here and Troy Deeney actually tweeted about how good Notts County were in an attacking sense so I think this is two good teams Forest Green are fine away from home at home I think it's eight defeats in nine you go back to March when they beat Sheffield Wednesday in, in League One mm. during that treacherous end to the season for them so they need to turn it around there but I've seen something in the last few displays that that can happen and yeah really good to see Troy getting himself a treble. One of them was a horrible goal, um, (laughs) which just like limped over the line when surely it should have been cleared or one of his mates should have nicked it. But yeah, getting a hat-trick when he's... um also got one eye on the coaching stuff at the moment as well. He's good going. Can anyone explain to me why goalkeepers don't just stand up to Troy Deeney's penalties?
0: I mean, he has told us in interviews, he's told us in podcasts, we've seen it with our own eyes how many times he's going to blast it and it's pretty much going down the middle. So uh, the fact keepers still dive to one corner, still gets me, but there you go. Helped him on his way to a hat-trick this weekend anyway. Another big result, in fact, this was even bigger really when you think about it. Doncaster 2, Gillingham won fantastic winning goal from Ben Close, uh, resurgent Doncaster, um, beating the League Two pace setters, and they've now won their last two games. Before that, they hadn't won any of their previous seven Doncaster. So what's changed?
2: Well, I don't think they have loads of goals in the the front areas. They got Ironside if you remember, um, mm-hmm. He was at Cambridge with mm-hmm. Paul Mullin, had a really good um relationship between them there. Um he's a he's a hard worker, but he's not really hit those levels again since he since um that that really fruitful partnership. So I think they need to get goals from elsewhere. And obviously Ben Close has, has popped up with um with three in the last two games. I think they've got a good midfield. I really like Westbrook and uh, Biggins alongside Ben Close. So there's some quality there. And they needed to improve defensively, Doncaster, which I think they're doing. I mean, mm. Forest Green Rovers had umpteen chances against them last week, but they were able to snatch victory there. And this is a really good result. Standing up to the the physical threat of of Gillingham, uh, that's really tough to do. You know, Gillingham already this, this season, three away victories, matches what they did on the road last year. My worry is this will continue to be their Achilles heel if they wanted to be promoted this year, if they wanted to be a real challenger, They've got to improve that away form incredibly. So couple of away defeats on the spin for the Jills now. Something for Neil Harris certainly to address. But things looking up for, yeah. for Grant McCann and Doncaster.
0: Yeah, um, Grant McCann said it was kind of a controlled win, which I totally agree with. The second half he said... Um, was probably their best 45 minutes of the season. He says he wants a 90 minute performance and I get that. But actually looking at it against the quality of opposition, it was a really great second half to see things out. And as I mentioned, fantastic goal to win it. Um, listen, another standout performance in League Two came from Stockport this weekend, who beat Wrexham by five goals to nil. Isaac Alohafe's hat-trick giving them an emphatic victory. They're now ninth. It's their third successive league win. Wrexham dropped to seventh following their first league defeat since the opening day. I really wanted to ask you what we we learned about these two sides in this fixture. I'm starting to think Wrexham are going to throw in these every three or four weeks uh, and then, you know, blitz the opposition in their three other games. You know, it still might give them a chance of promotion or automatic promotion but why is it every now and then they're conceding a lot of goals
2: strange isn't it with phil parkinson who was a brilliant kind of defensively minded player and i think some of his teams have been that way as well so far so you'd expect this not to be happening i think there's a bit of a lack of pace defensively i think on this occasion that was really exploited by Two electric forward players, Lafayette with a hat-trick, Louis Barry's in a really rich vein of form at the moment. Both diminutive little players, sharp on the shoulder. And I think that kind of played into Stockport County's hands, uh, that lack of mobility for, for Wrexham. So I think on the, on, on, on this uh, you know, individual merit, it was problematic for them. But going forward, they're going to get goals. I don't think Mullins anywhere near probably fit. Firing as of yet he's only had a few cameo appearances before this start, so he's going to improve, but just as Stockport did last year, hellish start to the season, momentum just grew and grew and grew mm-hmm. as we approached the winter and beyond three straight victories from now, I think he looked at some different systems early part of the season dave challoner and he's hes settled on a back four now he's got this 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 um two pronged attack. Um, early part of the season they were a back three playing full backs you know either side centre half I think a few injuries have probably meant that he's had to change Mm. and it's coincided with three really really good victories against AFC Wimbledon MK Donson and this uh, spanking of uh, Wrexham so really good turnaround not to be surprised because I think Stockport even though they didn't make it up last year I think they're really feared in League Two and most teams would anticipate them doing this again. Real credible chance.
0: Okay, Sam Parkin, thank you for being with me for the
2: past hour
0: or so. A reminder, you can listen to us every Monday from 6 o'clock here on TalkSport2. If you miss any of the shows, you can listen back on the TalkSport app. We're also available as a podcast which you can download uh, from wherever you get your podcast from. Just search EFL All Access.